Chris, good morning. Uh, I actually, I actually forgot this morning. It was Labor Day weekend. It was like, and I'm, and now like that I know like this is the perfect passage for us this weekend as we think about resting from our from our labor. Okay, so John chapter three. We're going to be looking at the first 21 verses of this chapter. I remember last week, uh, Jesus has been to a wedding and he's cleansed the temple. And now over this next month or so, we're gonna see that he's gonna begin this series of conversations with four very different people. Uh, And by the way, as we go into uh, these conversations in the weeks ahead, remember, we don't necessarily have the entirety of every one of these conversations. Some of them may have gone on for hours. I think the one that we're looking at today probably went on all night. Um, What we have from these conversations though is exactly what we need from these conversations in God's word. And today, this is probably the most profound and is the most quoted passage of scripture. And as we go into it, the depths of what is here is incredible. And we could just keep digging and digging and digging, but we need to remember it's a conversation. It's between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. And remembering that will help us grasp this. And hopefully, hopefully this very familiar passage will come alive afresh to us this morning. All right, we're gonna have five statements, five statements today concerning new life in Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the first one. It's this, we must be born again to enter God's kingdom. We must be born again to enter God's kingdom. Father, open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your word today, Lord, and may you be glorified in it in your name. Amen. Chapter three, look down at verse one, one through three here says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, And this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and he said, truly, truly, or amen, amen, or listen up. I say to you, unless one is born again, we cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Who is he? He's a, he's a Pharisee, all right? Uh, we're gonna see the Pharisees a lot throughout John. These were the most important experts on the law in Israel uh, at this time. No one kept the law like the Pharisees did. Their rules had rules that had rules so that they could keep all the rules. They loved the rules and they knew scripture inside and out. And Nicodemus is not just a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews. And we find out later what that means. It means he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. Uh, Nicodemus is high society. He's powerful, he's educated, he's wealthy and respected and smart, and he knows scripture inside out and upside down. But as we came to this, I was like, but he's a, a Pharisee. He's the bad guy. We don't like them. They're the enemies of Jesus. They're trying to kill him. 
And Jesus has all kinds of encounters with the Pharisees, and he typically calls them things like hypocrites, vipers, like nasty things, things that aren't good, right? And he does that because they're more concerned about external righteousness than they are being changed from the inside out. They're hypocrites. And so, man, I came to this this week, and especially these first two verses, and I just kind of got stuck here. I'm like, what's happening, Jesus? What are you, what are you doing? You, you can't meet with this, this guy. We don't like these guys. They're, they're the enemies. They're hopeless. We're actually rooting against them in the story. You know, when your kids are little and you watch like a cartoon movie and you, everybody, when the bad guy comes on scene, you're like, boo. That's what we do with the Pharisees. Every time they show up, we're like, Pharisees, boo. Don't like them. We're rooting against them. Not Jesus. What's his posture? He welcomes him, doesn't he? He meets with him. He listens to him. He talks to him. And he points him to truth. And we need to really grasp that right here at the beginning because it's gonna help us really understand and I'll say even really feel what's happening through the rest of these verses. Who are you rooting against that you should be rooting for? Who are you avoiding that you should be welcoming, booing that you should be loving, watching for someone, seeking them out, listening to them, talking to them instead of just grudging against them constantly, building up bitterness towards them. Who have you given up on that you should be praying for? Listen to me. As long as there is breath in their lungs, there is a possibility for change. How do we know that? Because with God, all things are possible. And we remember that apart from him, we're a lost cause. And so we don't give up on those people. Who is that? Remember the challenge we had as a church coming into this series? Who are we praying for? That they would come to Christ, that they would know him, that they would be changed by him, and that the Lord would use us in, his, in that way in their lives. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and it says there in verse 2, he comes by night by night, uh, based on what we see later on in John, I think this indicates he's coming under the cover of darkness to uh, maintain some level of anonymity. He wants some unseen and uninterrupted time with Jesus. And he starts with a statement, doesn't he? Not a question. He's like, you're from God. Notice he doesn't say you are God. He doesn't say you are the Messiah is what he does is he concedes that Jesus is at least from God. And then what's Jesus doing in verse three? Jesus answers the question Nicodemus didn't ask, at least out loud. I think this is actually what Nicodemus came and wanted to talk to Jesus about. And Jesus being the way that he is, he kind of just cuts the fluff and he goes right to the heart of it. And he's like, listen, cut the small talk, Okay, from God, all that kind of stuff. Here's why you're here. You wanna know, how do I enter God's kingdom? God's kingdom in, in the gospels refers to God's saving reign and rule, both inaugurated in his coming and his reign and his rule forever when he finally comes and sets it up 
permanently here on earth. And so Nicodemus is like, here's the real question. God's kingdom, how do I get in on that? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, you've got to be born again. This word again, it could also be translated from above. We're going to see why that's important. This is what in Christianity we call the doctrine of regeneration. It means this, you have to be completely reborn to enter God's kingdom. That's the only way. We need a whole new existence. We need to be remade from the inside out. So Nicodemus comes thinking, how do I get in on God's kingdom? How do I enter it? And Jesus goes, you must be born again. Second statement that we're gonna see about new life in Christ this morning is this. Our new birth is all the Spirit's work. We contribute nothing. Our new birth is all the Spirit's work. What do we contribute? Nothing. Look down at verses four through eight after Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, listen up, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly. Listen, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. All right, verse four, Nicodemus comes back and he's confused, right? Wouldn't you be? I mean, maybe you're here today and you are. And what he hears, he hears he must be born again physically. And he's like, that's ludicrous, (laughs) When in actuality, Jesus is talking about being born again or being born from above spiritually. And look at verse five. He says, you must be born of water and the spirit. So, so far we've seen, you gotta be born again, enter the kingdom of God, and now be born of the water and the spirit. What is he talking about here? Actually, Nicodemus should have known what he was referring to because there's several Old Testament passages that he would have known that refer to this theme. One of them I'm gonna put on the screen for you is Ezekiel chapter 36. Been to Ezekiel lately, have you? Ezekiel 36. It's this amazing passage, verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my 
rules. What is this talking about? Here in Ezekiel, we see this is a new covenant promise that God gave to his people. It says that God will give us a completely new heart. He'll work in us spiritual birth that cleanses us from all of our sin and breathes new life into us by giving us a totally new heart. This, this morning, I kept thinking um, that I was, I kept thinking I was thinking of like a 90s song and I'm like about a transformation of the heart. It was totally clips of the heart. So, that one, so it wasn't tied at all. And, but, so now you're welcome for that. You'll be singing that song all day. What this is describing is to be born again, you need a complete transformation from the inside out. And look at verse six. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's saying spiritual life is born from the spirit of God. Humans produce human life. The spirit produces spiritual life. And he uses the wind here as an illustration. The interesting thing is the word translated wind, the same word in the Hebrew, ruach, and in the Greek, pneuma. Both of them are also used to be translated spirit. So there's this wordplay going on, wind and spirit. And he's like, listen, you've seen this in the example of the wind. You hear the wind, you see its effects. I know how it works technically, scientifically, but it's a mystery. Like I can't follow the wind. I can't go find where it originated. I can't go find where it's gonna come to an end. I can't wrap my arms around it or capture it. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a miracle. He's like, that's just like the Spirit's work. It's a miracle. Let me uh, summarize it for you this way, what's happening here. Imagine if I came to you and I said this. You know, in July 1977, uh, I decided to be born. It was gonna be a high of 85 degrees, a low of 65, so I thought it'd be a nice, a nice day for this to take place. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. I was born in a small town in Wisconsin, smallish hospital. I kind of wanted to stay away from the large city hospitals. There's a lot of hustle and bustle, a lot of crying babies. I didn't need that. My mom didn't need that. I picked out a good on-call doctor. He was nice enough. Decided it was gonna be first thing in the morning, five, six o'clock in the morning. That would give us the rest of the day to rest. You know, I could get a couple meals in. People could visit. It was, you know, it was just a fabulous day. But of course it would be, I'm a good planner. Like if, if I said that, you'd look at me and you'd go, Nate, you're unhinged. <laughs> like something is seriously wrong, bro. Like, listen, you had nothing to do with your birth. You didn't even know to show up. <laughs> nothing, okay? So if you're grasping that, you're getting what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, just like we had nothing to do with our physical birth. We have nothing to do with our spiritual birth either. There's nothing I can do, but Nate, I'm a Pharisee. I'm influential. I know my Bible. I, 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 no, 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 no. 
nothing. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to birth yourself spiritually, to be born from above. Uh, last week, uh, it was hot. It's hot today, I guess, too. But it was hot last week, and our AC went out. And uh, we, all week, we were supposed to get the repairman, so we were kind of waiting. Everybody's AC was going out, so he was a little busy. And we got to about Thursday and Friday, and it was the hottest it could be. And so we're sitting in the house, fan right here, it's not helping. And, but we know, like, he's coming sometime between 6 a.m. and midnight. He's going to be there. And, and so we're waiting and we're hot. And it's like, I even sat by the refrigerator and we're like opening the refrigerator and like, just feel, it's just the thick air and it feels like death. And you've got to like slow down and you're not hungry and you don't want to eat. And you're just like, when's it going to stop? I know big babies, first world problems, but it was hot. And then come the first of this week, whatever it was, Monday, Tuesday, went out like 6 a.m. to my car and it's like 55 degrees and there's this wind and it was just like oh and if the neighbors were looking out they'd call the police because it was just like this is incredible and it was life-giving and it gave you like pep in your step and you were kind of excited for the day again and I couldn't help but think about this passage right the spirit of God the wind of God, when he pleases, where he pleases, chooses to act according to his perfect purposes. We are dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins. And God reaches into our lives and he performs a miracle surgery and he cuts away our old stony, hard heart, and he replaces it instead with a soft heart that's now capable of loving him and trusting him and pleasing him. And his wind breathes new life into us and there's nothing we can do about it. And it is a wondrous miracle. Amen? It is the greatest news that we have nothing to do with our new birth, but the spirit acts in us. Our new birth is all the spirit's work. We contribute nothing. Next statement about new life in Christ is this. Eternal life is possible only through the death of Jesus. Eternal life is only possible through the death of Jesus. Let's keep going in this passage. Look down at verse nine. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How is this possible? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? He's like, you're, you're a teacher. You know the things that I'm referring to from scripture. You should know this. And here's the thing, Nicodemus does know this. Here's what's not happening. He's not believing it. Verse 11, truly, truly, listen up. I say to you, we speak of what we know. That's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? And we bear witness to what we have seen, but you all do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things, which is what he's been telling him with these earthly examples even, and you don't believe, 
How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And I love this. He's like, you can't handle anymore because you're not believing what little I've already given you. But in his grace, verse 13, he's like, but we'll try anyway. Here's how these things happen. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven. No one's ascended into the, into the presence of God except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Jesus is, remember, favorite way of referring to himself. Daniel chapter seven, the son of man. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he's like, hey, you wanna know how this is possible? All right, let's see if you can grasp this. Here's how this is possible. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who uh, descended from heaven. He's like, no one's gone up into heaven, spent time there and returned with truth from God except the one who has descended. He's like, that's my home. In other words, I'm God. I'm the one that brings you the message from God, which by the way, total side note, that means that most of the spiritual books that you see in your local store that you walk past about little Bobby who went up, spent a week in heaven with God and came back with a new message from us, they're trash, okay? Walk by that aisle, go to the little Debbie aisle, that'll be healthier for you. Sorry, side note. (laughs) So he's like, no one has ascended into heaven and then come down with this message from God. And he's like, and here's what you need to know. I love this, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. What, What is he talking about there? If you're a fast turner in your Bible, go all the way back to the beginning. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 gives us this account, which I hope you're seeing a pattern here. He's constantly, John, going back to the Old Testament. So if someone tells you, hey, we have no use for the Old Testament today, baloney. Like if we don't understand the New Testament, it's the foundation for what we have in the, in the new. And all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for us. Like this is filled with Old Testament references and who's the one doing it? It's Jesus telling you to understand this, let's go back and let's look at it. So Numbers chapter 21, if you don't wanna turn there, just listen. It tells us about this account. It says this, from Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden, Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. That's interesting because there's no food and no water. Wasn't <laughs> Verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. That's leadership, by the way. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, And everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Okay, I've heard this story a lot. It's a weird story. It just is. And this week, thinking about it, I'm like, what? How is this connected? 
And I've never quite understood it because he's like, the Lord's like, make a bronze serpent and then lift it up and they'll look at it. Years later, Hezekiah has to destroy that serpent because the people are worshiping it instead of Yahweh. So it's like, why this, Lord? Here's what I think is going on here, okay? God's just judgment comes on his people who are grumbling against, ultimately, him. And these serpents come in. Sorry, all you people. Sorry, hon, who don't like the serpents. The serpents come in and they're biting. And he's like, make a bronze serpent. Just think about that for a minute. While he's off making, it, can't, it doesn't take a couple minutes to make a bronze serpent. While he's off making this serpent, people are still being bit and dying all around him. And then they go out and they hold up that serpent. And he's like, look at it. And here's what I think is happening. He's saying, Look at it. Be reminded of the consequences of your sin. This was because of that. And repent of it and trust Yahweh. Okay, now back to John. He says this in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is the first of four lifted ups references in John. So watch for the next three. Every time he talks about lifting up, this is John's way of predicting ahead of time. He's showing Jesus, predicting his dying by crucifixion on the cross. His death, his lifting up is what's gonna accomplish our salvation, our eternal life are being born from above. He says that whoever believes in him, remember belief in John is what? It's trusting in him, in who he is, in what he has done. It's depending on him to do what I can't do for myself. And the son of man will be lifted up so that you might have eternal life. He's like, look at it. Look at Jesus lifted up on the cross be reminded of the gravity of your sin in his death and in the wrath of God poured out on him and repent and believe and receive eternal life. So far we've seen, all right, be born again. To be born again is to enter the kingdom of God, is to be born of water and the spirit. And now we're seeing it's to have eternal life. All of these are descriptions of what it means to be born from above. And in fact, the rest of John, we won't see the born again language at all again. We only see from here on out, eternal life, eternal life, 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 life. The gospel is the means that the spirit uses to give us new life. He, he opens our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of the good news. And the good news is that Christ has been crucified and risen again for sinners, you and me. The fourth statement on new life from this passage is this. Whoever trusts in Christ will receive eternal life. Whoever trusts in Christ will receive eternal life. Let's look at it. Here it is, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but should have eternal life. Uh, At the beginning of this verse that we've heard so much, the word translated so, so it can refer either to a degree of something. So it would be a degree of love. So it'd be like saying God so loved the world. Okay, it could, also, it could also be referring to the manner in which. So it would read a little more like this, for God so loved the world. Or it would read, God loved the world in this way, your translation might say, or in this manner. And here's what's cool, and we're gonna see this all throughout John. John often uses uh, double meanings with some of his words, like born again and born from above. And I think that exact thing is happening here. Both of these things are being said. So degree is being said. God loved the world so much, so much that the father sends the son and he's lifted up so that we might look on him and have eternal life. And it also is manner. This is the pinnacle way that God demonstrates his love for us. There is no greater act of love that could be than the father sending the son in order to be here and live the life we couldn't live and die in our place on the cross. God loved an unlovable, sinful, rebellious, grotesque world enough to act to save it. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he enters his creation as a creature. He stands in our place, takes our penalty and makes a way for salvation. And it's incredible. Who, who Nate? Who, who can be saved? Look, look at this. Let this sink in. No matter, how many, no matter how many times you've heard this before, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Who can be saved, Nate? Whoever, that's who, anyone. He gave his son, not just that the Jews might be saved. He gave his son, not just for Americans. He gave his son, not just for men or women or adults or children. He gave his son, not just for the wealthy or the poor. It's whoever, tall, short, beautiful, ugly, thank goodness, liars, thieves, adulterers, rebels, skeptics, the single and the married, black and white, even Pharisees, hypocrites, like you and me, whoever believes Jesus saves. Hallelujah, right? The best news ever. Like Nate, okay, okay. I'm born again. It's all the Spirit's work. What do I do? You trust, you trust. How can I trust? Well, because you've been born again wait, how do I know I'm born again? You trust. You're like, ah, yes. It's wonderful and mysterious. Amazing. You have one responsibility. Believe. Believe and he will save you and give you life eternal. 
last, last statement about new life in Christ from this passage in the last verses here is this. Apart from Christ, apart from belief in him, we stand justly condemned in our sins and we face eternal separation from him. Look at verse 17 and following. It says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Another way of saying that could be, this is what the judgment is based on. The light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness, evil, rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is saying here, I'm not here for judgment yet. I'm here to offer salvation. But when Jesus returns, if you have not placed your trust in him, God's condemnation still rests on you. Why? Because I haven't trusted that he took it in my place. And because of that, I will face eternal separation from God and away from all of his grace. Look, at, look back at verse 16. It shows us this here. It says, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This word perish is the idea of lostness. It's ruin and destruction. And it stands in contrast to life. And they're really connected together by this idea of eternality. So what it's saying is if you will come to Christ and trust in him, you will have life to its fullest for all of eternity. But if you don't, rather instead of that, you will perish eternally. You will live in this perpetual lostness away from relationship with God and left only in your sinfulness. You're like, oh, Nate, this is kind of a, a bummer way to end the sermon, isn't it? It doesn't have to be. Because you see, if you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you're like, I'm Nicodemus, I'm asking who is Jesus and how do I enter the kingdom of God and how do I be born again? Today, you can turn to him, see the consequences of your sin that he took in your place and you can repent of your sins, place your trust in him and know today that you have life eternal. And if you're here and you're a believer, here's where you can be. You can say, oh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I am not condemned. He took it in my place. I trust him. All right, so how do we end this? Two things I, wanna, I want us to do here to close it out. First is this. If you're in a small group this, way, I've got a, this week, I've got a little homework for you. And if you're not this week, um, maybe you can do this in your personal study time. I want you to dig deeper on two things. All right, the first one is this. Uh, what happens to Nicodemus? He kind of just drops out of this conversation as the Lord starts teaching him. All right, what happened to him? Does he receive Christ? Does he not? All right, here's what I want you to do. There, there's hints to what happens in Nicodemus in John chapter 7 and in John chapter 19, okay? John 7 and John 19. Maybe go there with your small group and look at some of Nicodemus's journey and talk about what you think happened in his life and 
what that means maybe for us in our spiritual journey, okay? So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Uh, Look back over these 21 verses and look for the Trinity in here. And there, there are some really, really overt ways that the Trinity shows up. I mean, we see, we see the Father loving and sending. We see the Son being sent and accomplishing. We, need the, we see the Spirit providing new birth. And then there's, there's some subtle ways that the Trinity is here, okay? So look through there and look for all the ways that the Trinity is involved in all of this salvation work, but not in exactly the same way. And allow it to bring you to a point, either as an individual or as a group, where it's not just, oh, now I have more knowledge. Allow it to bring you to the point of awe and worship, okay? Last thing, this is where I want us to close. I think this is the whole point that we are supposed to walk away from this passage with, and it's this. Um, God loves you. Sit in that for a minute. He loves you. Today, not past tense, present. Not just initially for salvation and sending his son to take on flesh and to die in our place. Today, he still loves you Maybe you're here and you're like, I struggle with that, Nate. I struggle remembering that. Listen, you did nothing to deserve or earn his love initially. And guess what? You do nothing to earn or deserve his love today. He just loves you. You don't have to put on this. You don't have to do this. You don't have to, none of it. He says, I love you. And from that place of being loved by him, now we have all the motivation that we need to love him and obey him day to day. And when no one else loves you, he does. Hmm. Whatever life throws at you this week, he loves you. When you begin to doubt your life and your faith, come back to this passage and remember, he loves you. He loved you when you were unlovable. And because of Jesus Christ's work in your life, he loves you even now, no matter what. That will change the way that you go about life daily. Nate, how do you know? How do you know he loves me? John three sixteen. He gave his only son. He gave his only son so that we might have eternal life and be in relationship with him, not only now, but forever. (sighs) Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for in love going to the cross and being lifted up and taking the punishment for our sin upon yourself so that we might have life. Spirit, thank you. Thank you for reaching down when we weren't even seeking you and 
softening our hard hearts and opening our blind eyes and causing us to turn to you and to love you and to enjoy you and to be saved. Oh. Lord, you are incredible and we love you only and always because you first loved us in your precious name. Amen.